That's such a great theme, but it's such a great and important thing for us to, to do regularly, to say, great is your faithfulness. I remember a time in my life, it was as I was graduating from college, and we were singing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and I just began to think of all the ways that God had been faithful to me in my life, and I was just so overwhelmed that I just couldn't even get the words out, but the, the words of, of how great God's faithfulness, just thinking of all the ways He had provided, how He had brought me through. I could remember times where I didn't know how I was going to pay for school, and then sometimes the very amount that I needed would then show up in my account, and just so many ways I could recount God's faithfulness. And it's important for us to do that, to look at God's faithfulness in the past, to to think of God's faithfulness in the future, and to think of God's faithfulness that we need to live out. And so that's what we're going to do today. If you would turn to Romans Chapter 3, we're going to be continuing our series on God's attributes in the book of Romans. We speak of His attributes as His qualities or the characteristics of the character of God. And so we've seen in chapter 1, verse 17, God's righteousness. We saw in chapter 1, verse 18, God's wrath. We've seen in verse 20, God's power. We've seen last week, chapter 2, verse 4, God's kindness. And this week, we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, where it first mentions God's faithfulness. In Romans 3, Paul is talking about the, how all are sinful, Jew and, and Gentile. The, the gospel is the power of God to the salvation of the Jew as, as well as to the Gentile. But there are some advantages that he mentions in chapter 3 of of the Jewish people. They were, they were given the very words of God in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures. There were promises to them. And so Romans 3, verse 3, then he comes to this question, what if some, some of them, the Jewish people, were unfaithful? Will their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. The unfaithful Israelites did not nullify the faithfulness of God and His promises to them. Some of them were faithless. But Paul is going to argue there is an unchanging God who is forever faithful. And and what he's going to argue here is very good news for us who are not Jews, for us who are Christians here today. Because Paul wrote to another church, very similar words, 2 Timothy 2, 13, If we are faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. And that's good news for us because our faith falters. But our God never changes. He is faithful and true in a world that isn't, in a world where everyday people are unfaithful. The promises they make. People are unfaithful in their families, unfaithful in their wedding vows. And our society as a whole is becoming more and more difficult to know who can we trust, what can we trust with all the information that is swirling out there. What is true? There's a heightened distrust of, of media and even 
medical information in our age where there is money involved and, and where there's politics and, and power that we see at play. Promises that this or that will be faithful to stop a virus. We've seen all of those things fail. And, and one of the messages that should be coming home to us is we don't know. We're not in control. But God is. We can trust Him. We need to trust Him. That's where our trust needs to be. There was a Roman governor that asked Jesus one time, What is truth? And the reality is, governments then and now don't have the truth ultimately. We need to look to God for the truth. We can't just look on TV. We can't just look on media or social media. Because on on both sides of any issue, there's false narratives. There can be fake news. There can be conspiracy theories. And and we've heard more and more about critical theory, even distorting history and misinformation on the highest levels of, of nations and even once respected organizations. There can be misleading statistics. And the deception is unmasked in our politicians who, who do not believe what they say. But God is true, even though every man is a liar. And in our unfaithful world, we have a God who is faithful to His Word. A faithless people cannot nullify his faithful promises. And what Paul's going to argue here is that his faithful promises to Israel and to his church have been seen. So here's our outline God's faithfulness in the past, God's faithfulness to future Israel, and then God's faithfulness for us now and forever. But first, God's faithfulness in the past. And first, what does God's faithfulness mean? This definition comes from a book by Brian Russell. It's called I Am, a devotional study of the attributes of God. And he defines faithfulness this way. It's God's loyalty to his people and reliability to his promises. So, so much of what scripture says about God's faithfulness is, is emphasizing his loyalty to his people and his reliability to his promises. Or you could say it another way, he's truthful and he is dependable. And in this context, Romans 3.2 is talking about how God entrusted his oracles. Your Bible might say that's his spoken word in the scriptures that he gave to and through the Jews. In the past, he has shown his faithfulness to them and he spoke it to them for us. And so let me just give you some of those scriptures. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 calls him the faithful God who keeps covenant. This is covenant faithfulness. He has these covenant promises that he's faithful to. And Exodus 34, 6 is that great statement where God reveals himself. Moses says, show me your glory. And and God says, I can't show you the fullness of me. No one can see me and, and live. But he hides him in the cleft of the rock and he passes by and he reveals his nature this way. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And the last part is he is abundant in faithfulness. He's not just faithful. He's abundant in faithfulness. Those are some of the statements there. In fact, one translation uses the phrase, His faithful love, 140 times. It says things like this, We depend on His faithful love. Trust in God's faithful love. God's faithful love is 
constant. And that verse from Exodus is actually repeated several times throughout Scripture, that statement that God is abundant or abounding in faithfulness and truth. Three times the Psalms say His faithfulness reaches to the clouds. As I was driving in here this morning praying, I looked at the, the mighty mountains there, and I was reminded of the psalm that says His love reaches to the, to the heavens. We see the, the sunrise and the sunset. His faithfulness reaches to the clouds. His his, his character, His righteousness is like those mighty mountains over there. As you see those things, be reminded of what Scripture says about God's attributes. Or we, we read in Psalm 89 earlier, Jason did, how God's faithfulness is all around Him. It surrounds Him. And we're to declare that faithfulness. His faithfulness in the Psalms is like a shield. It's our protection. It's our provision. It's also our protection. So these are some of the scriptural Psalms and statements about God's faithfulness. Here's a more modern song by Shai Lin, how it fills out this definition of faithfulness. You are faithful, never changing. From age to age, you remain the same. And when we believed, you were faithful to save us. And that means you'll be faithful to change us. From the things you say, you don't budge. You're faithful to save and you're faithful to judge. The God who is just became one of us. The faithful God is the God we can trust. Even when we're faithless, or on you we rely. Everything we need, Lord, you will supply. Even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. You cannot deny yourself. We're so thankful. That's God's faithfulness. He doesn't change. He doesn't budge. We can trust Him. He supplies all our needs, as we read earlier. And Psalm 107 is about... His faithfulness in the past that we're to thank Him for. Four times it says in that psalm, Give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love endures forever. And it ends with this, that psalm. Pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. We need to pause and consider and contemplate how faithful God has been to us. It's, it's good for us to think about how has God been faithful in the past and even in the recent past and in our life. This is something that demands our attention, the psalm says, and his faithfulness to all generations. So I would encourage you to think about God's faithfulness, and and even sometime today, maybe even while you're here, before you leave here, take some time as you're talking to someone and say, you know, I was thinking about God's faithfulness. Share with them. Ask them, how how have you seen God's faithfulness? Because we're commanded to do that, and to all generations. For all the Bible, we see this theme. Genesis talks about God's faithfulness. And then you go to the end of the Bible. Near the very end of that last book, Revelation, John looks and he says, Then I looked and I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. And the one who was seated on this horse was named Faithful and True. That's the Lord right there. That's, he's, he's revealed when John sees him, that final vision at, at the end of the second coming and then the kingdom to come. He sees that this one who is coming is faithful and true. That's what he's called for all eternity. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth and the life. And all God's promises find their yes in him. Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song about Jesus as faithful and true. And some of you know the story, but he wrote that song with someone else. Shortly after tragedy struck their 
family. Their youngest daughter, Maria, five years old, was struck by a car in their driveway accidentally by another family member. They tried CPR. They, they couldn't save her life. And so he's there in that moment praying. He's there not as a, as a singer at that time. He's there as, as someone bringing his supplications as a father, praying for God's to be faithful to her. And, and this is the truth that sustained him as he wrote, looking back on that. In every situation, he has proved his love to me. When I lack the understanding, he gives more grace to me. When I look back on the road I've traveled, I see so many times he carried me through. And if there's one thing I've learned in my life, he says, it's this, my Redeemer is faithful and true. He could say that and sing that in the midst of Of that, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything he has said, he will do. And every morning, his mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. And and his mercies that we need in those times, they are new. They are fresh every morning. That comes out of Lamentations 3. Because of the Lord's faithful love, his mercies never end. They are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness. And he goes on to say, even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to his abundant faithful love. Jeremiah wrote those words, seeing terrible loss in the land of Israel and destruction, wondering if there would ever be hope for his people again. But he could look back and bring to mind God's faithfulness in the past, which gave him comfort in the present. And he also believed and wrote about God's faithfulness for the future of his people. And so that's the second point, God's faithfulness to future Israel. The Old Testament said his faithful love to Israel endures forever. It doesn't just endure for a while. Forever. Romans 3 verse 3 is asking, is that faithful love, still true despite those faithless Jews. Some of them are unfaithful. And actually, Paul was saying many of them, many of them were rejecting, and and he was going to the Gentiles. And so the question rises, will will God still be faithful to promises to Israel, or has he now moved on from them? Verse 2 mentions the oracles of God, There were oracles, there were prophecies given to Israel that have never been fulfilled. What about them? Some would be asking. And so I want you to turn to chapter 9 because Paul actually comes back to this question that he brings up in chapter 3. And in Romans 9, he's going to argue that not all physical Israel is spiritual Israel. There needs to be saving faith to make one a, a true, full Israelite spiritually. Jesus said of one of his disciples, here is a true Israelite or an Israelite indeed because he believed in in him. But in verse 6, he's going to argue it's not as though God's word has failed. His word is still true to those who have faith. But look at Romans 9 verse 4. What about the Israelites? They are Israelites and to them... 
to the Israelites belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And then verse 5 talks about the Jewish patriarchs, their race, or a better term would be their ethnicity, according to the flesh. Jesus was a Jew, but did God unadopt Israel for rejecting him as the Messiah? This is a question that some were wondering in those days. Is the church now the replacement of Israel's covenants and, and promises? Some have wondered that and, and taught various things throughout church history. But Paul's argument is God's word has not failed. Not all Israel now is is spiritual, but look at verse 4. Paul says, of the Israelites, even those in in verse 2 and 3 he's concerned about and praying about because they don't yet trust him. He says, of the Israelites, to them belong. This is present tense, not past tense. The adoption, the glory, and the covenants, they're not unadopted. The covenants are still theirs. And the end of verse 4 says, to them still belong the promises. But the tension is not all believe those promises. Not all receive the the fullness of those blessings. And yet God is faithful to His covenant promises. And all within Israel, then and now, who have faith will have the fullness of those blessings. But what about the future? Go to chapter 11. Because Paul's going to actually ask again, has God rejected His people Israel? Has He replaced them now? Or to say it another way, is God through with the Jews? Let's see how Paul answers it. Romans 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people. Paul's saying, I'm exhibit A. That God is still at work among the tribes of Israel. And the descendants of Abraham. God is not through with the Jews. He has not rejected and replaced them by the church. It was true. And Paul, this grieved his heart. He's going to talk in chapter 10 about how how his heart's desires for them to be saved. And he knew the first century nation of Israel largely had sinfully rejected Jesus. They had failed to see their Messiah. And so Paul went to other nations. He brought the riches of Christ. He preached those riches to other nations as a result of that. But look at verse 12 of Romans 11. It says this, If there, this is Israel's trespass, that means their sin, means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, much more will, this is future tense, will their full inclusion mean. What, what blessing is that going to be for the world when there's a full inclusion of Israel in the future? Or another translation has, how much more will Israel's full restoration? When Jesus was resurrected, before he went back to heaven, Acts chapter 1 says he taught his disciples for 40 days about the kingdom. And at the end of that, Romans 1 verse 6, right before he goes back to heaven, his disciples are asking him, Lord, is it now Is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time you've been telling us about this? Are you going to do it now, Lord? And this is what Jesus said. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed 
by his own authority. He says, but you will be witnesses beginning in, in Jerusalem. And we know that, that promise, but, but here he's been teaching them about the kingdom. And they're wondering, is, is this now when, when Israel is going to, the, the kingdom and, and the fullness of all those promises, is, is that what you're going to do now? And he says, it's not for you to know those times. It's not for you to know those seasons. He doesn't correct them and say, no, you've misunderstood. There, there is no future for Israel. He says, it's not for you to know when the fullness of those kingdom promises will take place. But God has promised a full restoration, a full inclusion. In fact, Acts chapter 3, Peter talks about how the, the times of the restoration of all things will come. And it will come near the time of when he comes back. From heaven, But in Paul's day, Israel rejected the gospel of reconciliation as a whole, as a nation. And so Paul then would bring that nation to the world. He would always go to the Jews first. He'd go to the synagogue to see if there was an audience to the Jew first, as he says in Romans 1, 16. But in Romans 11, 15, he sees there's a day coming when, when their rejection is actually going to turn to acceptance. Look at verse 15. For if their rejection, that's again Israel's rejection, means the reconciliation of the world. Again, they rejected and so they went to bring that gospel of reconciliation to the world. What will their, that's Israel's, what will Israel's acceptance mean but life from the dead? When those who have have rejected it have now accepted that, he says it'll be like life from the dead. And that sounds to me like Ezekiel 37. This prophecy of, of Israel's Valley of dead bones. Some of you know that prophecy says this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. You will know. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What are these bones? He says to the prophet. These bones represent the whole house of Israel. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land. I will save them from all their sin. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then the nations will know. The whole world is going to know someday through this. Charles Spurgeon wrote on this a couple hundred years ago, If words mean anything in their own land, there shall be a spiritual restoration, a conversion, in fact, of the tribes of Israel. And Spurgeon said, Israel was saying with the prophet Ezekiel, Our our, our hope is lost. We are dead. We are cut off. He says, We have no instance in history of a nation dying and coming to life again. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, these massive nations, they all had their day. They failed and they passed away. Where are they now? Can those empires live again? These vast dominions died and ceased to be a living power. Can they ever be restored? Impossible. But because God lives, Israel's God lives, Israel can never die. Israel will be a nation yet again, he said, rejoicing in her own Messiah. And shall not Israel's restoration be as life from the dead? Spurgeon said it shall. And he wrote that many years, more than a hundred years before it looked like it could ever be possible even for what we began to see happening in the 20th century. 
with Israel, I remember a member of our church years ago said there were two things that convinced him the Bible was true from the book of Romans, both of them. One of them was Romans 1, and just seeing that that so perfectly describes what's been unfolding in our world and in our country even. And the other was God's faithfulness to Israel when so many people throughout history have wanted to wipe them out and annihilate them. And yet they're still around. You read in the Old Testament about these Hittites, these Amorites, these Girgashites. You're not going to meet anyone today like that, but there's a lot of Israelites still to this day. And the only explanation as to how that could be when so many throughout history have wanted to wipe them out is what Paul says here, that God is faithful. And he will still fulfill his promises to them This is not a a new understanding. In fact, throughout church history, century by century, you can read those who understood what Paul is talking about in Romans 11 here for the ethnic descendants of Abraham. Here's what Jonathan Edwards wrote back in Colonial America. Nothing is more certainly foretold than this national conversion of the Jews in the 11th chapter of Romans. He says, of all the unfulfilled prophecies that are still to be fulfilled, there's nothing more certain than this one. This became part of the the Puritan hope, and, and even was part of some of the confessions as they would say what to pray for as a church. This was something that was a part of the even Westminster Directory of Public Worship, pray for the, the calling and the conversion of the Jewish people. The author of Amazing Grace saw this as the most amazing thing, the existence and the preservation of the Jewish people throughout history. But here's where we, want, we need to look in verse 25, Romans 11. Because this is where it all comes together, what he's been saying. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there, there is this hardening now, but it's partial, and there's a, an end point until the fullness of the Gentiles Come in. That seems to be come into the church, come into the the kingdom, come into salvation. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. It's another name for Israel. Ungodliness is going to be banished from Israel one day. And this will be, future tense, my covenant with them when I take away their sins. When I take away the sins of Israel, as regards the gospel, they, that's Israel, are enemies for your sake. Present tense, there's still so many who are enemies of this gospel. But as regards election, they are, present tense, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Here's Paul's statement, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God will be faithful by sovereign grace. And he is faithful to his irrevocable covenant. And he will save Israel in the future tense, in the end. As the the fullness of the Gentiles are, are saved, there's also going to be a fullness of Israel who will be saved. And Paul quotes promises from the prophets that still belong to Israel. And, and the covenants, remember he said in Romans 9, 4, the covenant is, is still theirs, that he will take away their sin one day. They're not unadopted, they're not unelected. 
God is faithful, even though so many are enemies of the gospel now. Israel, he says, is still beloved because of God's promises to their forefathers. There were promises to Abraham and to David in particular. And Paul uses this future tense for a day coming when all Israel, and the implication is all that are alive at the end, when the fullness of Gentiles come in, will be saved as it is written. And then he's quoting Old Testament prophets to prove that 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 hardening, that darkness upon so many now is partial and it is not permanent. A theologian named Charles Hodge wrote, Israel rejecting Jesus is not total and it is not final. R.C. Sproul said it this way, I do think what is happening in Palestine today is significant. Before the end of the age, he says, as there was a national judgment in the first century, so there will be a national restoration. At the end, the nation as a nation will be restored to God. Paul calls this a mystery. This is something that that launches him into praise as he contemplates this. All Israel. It's actually a phrase used in Zechariah 12 and some of the translations for his future grace. This is what God says. I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. God says, they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him. All Israel, he says, will mourn clan by clan itself. On that day, he says, a fountain, a fountain of grace will be opened to cleanse them from all their sins. Nothing like that has ever happened but there is this sure prophecy there that there's going to be a mourning over sin. That's the mourning of repentance by grace. They're going to see that this one that they pierced is actually the one through that that Isaiah spoke of who would be pierced for our iniquities. They'll be able to say those words of Isaiah 53. He, we esteemed him not. We rejected him, but he was pierced for our iniquities. He was crucified for our sins. Zechariah 12, verse 10. I was just reading this week, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his sermons on Romans 11 quotes that text for Paul's point in his words, quote, that the future restoration of Israel as a nation is certain. And all of that comes because of God's faithfulness. Zechariah connects it with these words to God's faithfulness. The Lord Almighty, this is Zechariah 8, the Lord Almighty says, I will save Israel from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem, and they will be my people, and I will be faithful. He pledges himself by his faithfulness. Jeremiah 31 is another one you could look at. God says this, again, tying it to his faithfulness. At that time, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel. It's never happened in their history, but he says, I, here it is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God's love is everlasting. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 31, the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars. If this fixed order departs from me, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. If you no longer see the sun and the moon and the stars and all of that, he says, then I will cast off Israel for all that they have done. But as long as days and seasons don't end, God is promising, neither will 
Israel, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to God's great faithfulness, mercy, and love to Israel and to us. And that takes us to thirdly and and finally, his faithfulness to us now and forever. Because this is good news for us to know that God is faithful, that there's been 4,000 years plus of his faithfulness to to his people, and, and we can know that whatever years in our life, whatever decades in our life we have struggled in sin, cannot exhaust this attribute of God. He has continued to be faithful to his people for more than 4,000 years. He can be faithful, and he will be faithful to us. So how should this impact us as Gentiles? There's three applications. This, this should be a, a source of praise as we think of God's faithfulness. Look at Romans 11:33. Right after this, he launches into praise for the, oh, the depth of the riches. And then he's going to go through these attributes of God. His faithfulness to Israel and the fullness of the Gentiles. This is all going to verse 36. From God, through God, and to God are all things. To Him be the glory. There's no other explanation but His glory, His grace. So as we see God's faithfulness, we should sing God's faithfulness. We should sing like Romans 8 begins, No condemnation, now I dread. That's a promise for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation you will ever face. Israel's sin didn't separate them ultimately from God's love, and that should make us praise God for His promise also in chapter 8 that there's nothing past, present, or future, things to come, life or death. There's nothing in the universe, Paul says, that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. If, if we believe that God is faithful to his promises, we should praise him. We should be thankful as we see this faithful God. Look at Romans 15. Because Paul talks about how Christ's faithful way in which he served his own Jewish people, that this should impact our worship as Gentiles. Romans 15, verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That was a term for the, the Jewish people. He did this to show God's truthfulness, or you could say his faithfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So we see these promises given. We see these promises are not broken. They're fulfilled. It it confirms those promises given to those Hebrew patriarchs, verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles, that's most of us in this room, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So God does this so that we would glorify him for his mercy. He's merciful. He's faithful. We need to glorify him. We need to praise him for that. He's quoting a psalm. Another psalm says this, With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to who? To all generations, that's what we heard earlier. There's also a song like that. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. We have all generations in this room. That as Even earlier, as we were saying the words of God's faithfulness, we were doing that. But I want to specifically encourage you at the close of this service to specifically look for someone who is a different generation than you. To speak and declare God's Faithfulness to talk about God is faithful. It was so good to be reminded of God's faithfulness. 
We're to sing praise to his name. We heard read earlier, Psalm 92, Declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. So even think about that in the context of what's coming up in a couple weeks. In the morning, you're going to hear baptisms right over here. People speaking of God's faithfulness and salvation for them. And in the night, you're going to hear testimonies of God's faithfulness. It's good, the psalm says, to do that. We need to sing and speak of his faithfulness to all generations all the time. And so I encourage you again, before you leave here, take some time to do that. And maybe especially someone of a, an older or younger season of life than you. There's a second area that should impact us for our service and our stewardship. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians 4, just a few pages forward in the next letter that Paul writes, because the way this word faithful is often used in Scripture, it's not just used of God, like an attribute he doesn't share with us. He's, his faithfulness is to cause us to be faithful. He was a servant, Jesus was, so that we would also be servants like him. Look at 1 Corinthians 4.1. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards. That word stewards means one who's been entrusted with the master's resources. Someone who is to be wise with, with how he handles the, what the master has given to him. He doesn't own it. It's not his but he's been given it to administer it. In verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And so it's good to think, and these terms are often used, of stewards and servants, that they're to be faithful, good and faithful. God has been, as we think about our stewardship here, God has been so faithful in this church for so many years, in so many ways, and even as we think about stewardship, he's been, through your faithful giving, through his provision, this church has been blessed and sustained through the years. And as elders here, we are so thankful for that, for how faithful God has been, so prayerful as we want to be good stewards of these resources. We want to be good stewards of the debt that we have here as a, as a building. And so one of the things we've been praying about, and I think it might have even been mentioned at our, our annual meeting of wanting to be faithful Stewards, the, the elders want to pay down our debt uh, to free up more of your faithful giving for direct ministry as we look to the future. And so I think it was Steve mentioned our annual meeting, our, our two loans, and the, the smaller of those loans is around 311000 I think last time I checked. It also has a higher interest of the other one that's about double that size. And so we would love to to pay that down or to pay that off with an increase in, in giving to the, the principle of that debt. And so as God provides through faithful stewardship and faithful giving, if, when we can pay that off, I don't know if that'll take a couple years or more, that'll, that'll free up, when we think of stewardship, about 30000 a year that can go to other ministry needs. And over the course of that loan, over $130,000 just of interest if we can do that. And so as we think about stewardship, this is something we've been thinking about and, and praying about, and we'll be sharing more about that in the future, but we, we want to begin giving more to that loan starting this month, Lord willing. And so just wanted to, as we think about God's faithfulness in the context of, of the teaching of God's Word, that's something we ask you to join with us in prayer as God meets our needs. 
We're called to be faithful, sacrificial, and joyful givers to his kingdom work, and you are. And so what we're committed to do is any extra giving that comes in beyond our needs and regular giving, we want to be paying down that debt to be faithful stewards. So join us in that prayer and consider that as you give. And and notice verse 1 also calls us servants. As we think about giving, how are how are we giving of ourselves in service? Because there's, there's many needs in, in the body, and, and we think of time and talents as well we're called to give. Jesus calls us all to live as, as servants, to have this mindset, to live before the Master with what He's given us. That includes the, the time that we spend, what we choose to invest ourselves in. And, and the goal of the servants, in, as Jesus taught in the Gospels, was that We want to one day hear the Master say, Well done, what? Good and faithful servant. We want to be faithful in our service. Are you faithful in serving others? And that doesn't necessarily need to be an official title, but what are you just doing to serve others? We need to be faithful in that. The Bible commands us, Serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. I don't think the motive of us giving ourselves more in service should be guilt. It should be the the greatness of God's faithfulness. Think of how much he has done for you. What can you do for his people? And as we seek to be faithful, we need to be humble. Sometimes people can serve for the wrong motivation. But we need to be faithful and humble. Genesis 32.10 I think this is Jacob speaking. I am not worthy of the least of all the faithfulness you have shown to your servant. That's the right way to think about it. We're not worthy of the least of God's faithfulness. But we want to live for him. So be humble that he's faithful to you and serve him and others in that light. And then the third and final way that I think this truth should impact us is our hope in the gospel. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to our hope, for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful, so hold fast. And then it says, Consider how you might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together. But that's the foundation of it. He's faithful, so we need, we need to be faithful in our fellowship and our relationships. And to be considering even now, What's a way that you might encourage or stir someone towards love and good deeds? There are so many needs in our body, and those needs have even grown this last week with Edie's family. There are many ways that we can be considering how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's our hope in this world of sin. He who promises faithful, but just right here in 1 Corinthians, we'll close with chapter 10. If you want to turn there where there's one more encouragement of God's faithfulness in our sin, in our temptation. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, whatever you're going through, don't ever think that you're alone. You're not alone. You're not the only one. Many struggle in this way, but here's the key. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. It's a lie to think that you just have to give in. 
to temptation. You don't. God is faithful. This truth is very practical. God is faithful. He will provide a way for you to escape. And sometimes that way is, is getting out of that situation. Like he'll say in Corinthians, flee sexual immorality, flee idolatry. But also sometimes we need help from others. And that, that way that he gives us is the body of Christ. It's reaching out beforehand, asking for help. I'm tempted. This weekend's coming up. This situation's coming up. I'm, I'm going to be tempted in this way. Would you pray for me? Just that alone is part of that way. And even as we strive to fight sin, there's going to be times where we still give in to sin. What, what's, our, what's our hope there? Again, it's this gospel promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is, what? Faithful. And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you've been sinful, if you've been unfaithful, if you were honest, you would say, I, I lack faith. I don't even know if I have saving faith or, or faith to get past this struggle. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord to forgive you, to cleanse you, to strengthen you. Jesus is faithful and he is merciful. If you turn from your sin, if you trust his faithful work for you on the cross. I want to just let the last words be God's words from Lamentations 3 again. My soul continually remembers it, is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies or his faithful love never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Say it with me. Great is your faithfulness. Let's pray. Our great God, that scripture I just read also says, therefore I will hope in you. Help us to hope in you. Help us to be impacted by the greatness of your faithfulness so that we would be faithful, that we would be more like you. We pray, Lord, for salvation of, of the Jewish people as well as the people around us who it might seem impossible for them to come to you, Lord. We pray that this month you would give us gospel conversations and gospel opportunities to, to plant seeds and that we would even see seeds bearing fruit as we prayed earlier. We pray these things in the faithful and merciful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.